Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 50. We have reached a landmark episode. It is episode 50, and uh, we got some special stuff today. No guests, just me prattling on for the next half hour or so about any number of topics. But first, most importantly, we tell you that today's show is brought to you by DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings. They are the leader in daily fantasy sports and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, and it's really simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion. That's billion, a B, $7 billion to users across all sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. No better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up with code TBPN. New users get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code TBPN to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit is required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, I'm back from vacation. Uh, yeah, yeah, another vacation. This is, I this is one of the most frequently asked questions that I get. What do you do during the off season? Travel, go places, do stuff. And um, earlier this summer, went to the uh, Oregon wine country, back to my old stomping grounds in Portland and uh, environs west, and uh, drank some very good Pinot Noirs and uh, some rosés derived from Pinot grapes, and enjoyed that. This was a trip back to my roots. For those of you who don't know my history, I was born and raised in northeastern Wisconsin, probably about um, 12 miles north of Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, yes, I'm a Packer fan. Um, but just did some of my favorite things in the Midwest. I was celebrating my birthday. In the interest of full disclosure, I am now 57 years old, but feel like I'm 35. My body doesn't always feel like I'm 35. But sometimes it feels like I'm 65. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so celebrated my birthday and did it by doing some of my favorite things. So went to Chicago, went to the Ravinia Musical Music Festival in Highland Park, Illinois, and listened to some Beethoven, which was remarkable, sitting there on the lawn with a nice glass of wine and uh, listening to Beethoven uh, on the piano. Did that, uh, went to the Frank Lloyd Wright home and studio, which uh, I'm a big fan of Prairie Architecture. And uh, I had done the tour before, but wanted to do it again. So I did that. Uh, Brian Anderson of Turner Sports and the Milwaukee Brewers uh, hooked me up with uh, tickets to the Brewers-Reds game. Unfortunately, the Reds won 2 nothing. It was a very disappointing night at the ballpark, but it was good to be at uh, what is now American Family Field. Used to be known as Miller Park, but American Family Insurance now has the naming rights there. Great ballpark. Whether or not you're a Brewers fan, it really doesn't matter. It, it's a great atmosphere, great tailgating in the parking lot, and a great atmosphere uh, inside the stadium. So uh, did that, and then also spent some time up in Door County, which uh, if you were looking at Wisconsin, that is the, the finger appendage uh, on the east side of the state. Peninsula State Park has some fantastic hiking and uh, just really in, just enjoyed some good downtime there. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm back. And so what do we got in today's show? Enough about my vacation. Let's talk about the NBA Finals. We're going to talk about Game 4. 
which was remarkable for a number uh, of reasons. Uh, we'll talk about NBA officiating, which uh, could have had a, a very significant impact on Game 4. And then it was interesting, um, Richard Deitch, who does an amazing job uh, on The Athletic about sports media, uh, put out a tweet last night talking about, you know, you know, if people haven't put Mike Breen in the pantheon of great NBA Finals voices, uh, you know, should they? The the answer is yes. Spoiler alert. But I'm going to talk about some of the great voices of the NBA who have done the NBA Finals and uh, give you my take on who I think is the very best of those. Uh, so we've got all that coming up in today's show. And uh, we'll start right in with, with Game 4 with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns, the series now tied at two. Uh, Bucks getting the win uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, just a, a great, great game as Milwaukee wins it 109 to 103. Milwaukee trailing for the vast majority of this game, but they were able to come up with a big fourth quarter. Chris Middleton. Uh, this was the Chris Middleton game that they have been looking for uh, since the Brooklyn series, and uh, he delivered 40 points for the game. 14 in the fourth quarter. And it, it's really an interesting dichotomy with this Milwaukee team because they have a new age type player in Giannis Adetokounmpo who can do so many things, is tall, long, athletic, uh, can shoot the three, <laughs> hasn't been shooting it terribly accurately lately, but he, he does have kind of this, this new school big man stretch whatever position he wants to play, the ability to um, – make multiple moves out of the post, drive to the bucket, hit the perimeter shot, get to the free throw line. And then you've got Chris Middleton, who is not all that dissimilar in some ways to DeMar DeRozan, uh, who is a gifted mid-range player. Uh, Middleton, yes, and he can make threes, and he rained threes on the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals, but he's also a guy who is a mid-range shot maker. So you have a little bit of, of new school in uh, Giannis and a little bit of old school in Chris Middleton, and and it, and it works for this Milwaukee Bucks team. Um, this was a Bucks team that, boy, they they struggled to start the game. They struggled to start the third quarter, and for the vast majority of this game, and I do look at this series with the eye of being a native Wisconsinite. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling for the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think there's any secret if anybody who knows me knows that I'm going to be pulling for a Milwaukee team, if at all possible. And uh, they they just seemed dead in the water. And there there were some offensive series where uh, they they just were settling for bad shots, uh, were not getting ball movement. Uh, but they were finally able to uh, get their rhythm in the fourth quarter, running some screen and rolls with Middleton and Giannis. Giannis setting the screen, freeing Middleton. And everybody wants to talk about the Giannis Antetokounmpo block, and with good reason. It, it is going to go down in the books as one of the great moments in NBA Finals history, particularly if Milwaukee goes on and wins the championship. When you look at that play, a couple of things. Number one, if Aiton dunks that ball, that may have been the death knell to Milwaukee's championship hopes. Uh, you know, Phoenix goes on and, and, and they win the game. It's 3-1 going back to Phoenix. And now it is a huge mountain to climb for this Milwaukee Bucks team. But a couple of things about this. Number one, 
Um, Giannis wandered away from Aiton, and basically you had three bucks around Booker, which is understandable because Booker had a, a Booker game. Um, but by the same token, there was nobody covering Aiton rolling in from the baseline. And if Booker's pass is a little bit better, maybe a foot closer to the rim, Aiton has to reach back for the pass. And that slight mistarget of the pass allows Adetokounmpo to get to a point where he can block it. Um, I, I saw on Twitter this morning somebody had the phantom cam or the ultra slow motion version of the play. And when you look at it, you can almost see in Giannis's eyes. And um, Middleton said it was it was an oblique moment uh, when the pass was released because this looks like a certain two points for DeAndre Ayton. And it looks like Phoenix is going to take control of this thing at that point. You look at that phantom cam replay, and you can see Giannis's eyes get real big, like, oh, my, uh-oh, I've messed up. And his ability, his length to turn from ball handler to turn, you know, and reverse himself, that in and of itself is not easy. But then to get the length, to get the height, and to meet Aiton at the summit and to send that back, that was a remarkable play. People were saying, well, was it the same as as LeBron's chase down block of Andre Iguodala in the finals a few years ago? No, it, 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 it's an entirely different play. Both of them are tremendous athletic feats. Um, you know, LeBron was was speed and elevation and, and able to get the block. For Giannis, it was it was a remarkable reaction in a very, very tight space. I mean, LeBron got a running start and was able to close the gap, get the elevation, get the block. What Giannis did, it, it's remarkable. Both of both of those plays are remarkable plays. And, and as I said, particularly if Milwaukee ends up winning the series, it becomes one of the seminal moments, one of the keystone moments in Bucks franchise history. It becomes one of the great moments in finals history, frankly, if Milwaukee goes on to win. It, it's going to always be remembered as, as an amazing block, game-saving block potentially, for the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, whether they win or lose the series. But really just amazing by Giannis Adetokounmpo. And if Booker's pass is a little bit better on target, maybe we're talking about a 3-1 Phoenix lead and the Suns would be going back home to try to close it out. Another thing from this game, if the Phoenix Suns are going to win the series, and understanding you know Devin Booker had a fantastic game, Chris Paul's got to be better. Uh, this was most definitely not a Chris Paul game. Uncharacteristic turnovers um, was was not himself for whatever reason. And if Booker is Booker and CP3 is CP3, Phoenix is probably going to win this series, all things being equal. But I don't think Phoenix wins this series with a subpar Chris Paul. They don't win this series with a game four Chris Paul. At least that's what I think about it. Um, talking about Devin Booker, uh, it leads us to the non-call when it appeared that he was trying to take a foul. It would have been his sixth. James Capers was the crew chief last night. He 
called immediately on the floor. He let the let them play on and indicated he thought it was a clean block by Booker. In the pool report afterwards, he admitted that he had looked at the play uh, on replay in the locker room after the game and realized that it should have been a defensive foul, which would have been Booker's sixth. It was it was not a good miss. Um, James Capers is a very, very good official. But what this speaks to is the angle and the line of sight that a referee has for a given play. He was in position. From his angle, he saw a clean block. He saw Booker get his hand on the ball. From his angle, he did not see the body contact. He did not see the swipe down, did not see the rake down. And apparently, uh, Courtney Kirkland and David Guthrie didn't see it either. Uh, And so that's why it was a play on. It's unfortunate that that call was missed because James Capers is a really good official. I know a lot of people in Milwaukee probably don't believe that right now, but uh, yeah, it, it, he is a very good official. It was a missed call, and these things are going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, that you know, had, had Phoenix gone on to win, and particularly if Booker had played a major role from that point forward in Phoenix winning the game, then this becomes a massive, massive missed call. Because if Booker impacts the game and Phoenix goes on to win, they go home 3-1 and a chance to close out at home uh, where otherwise they might not have had that opportunity. Look, the NBA game is almost impossible to officiate. They get 95 96% of the calls right. But that means there might be 3 or 4%, 5% that they don't get right. It's not for lack of competence. Sometimes, and you talk to referees and they will tell you if they miss a call, they probably miss it because they were in a position that did not allow them to see the play fully. With all the cameras that ESPN has on the floor, we can easily see, yeah, that that should have been a foul. But what James Caper saw was hand on ball, doesn't see the body, doesn't see the arm on the hand, doesn't see the swipe down. And so that's why it's a play on. But for everybody else who had a much better angle than James Capers, it, it, it was a foul and, and should have been a foul. And, and Booker should have been disqualified at that point, but was not. Um, understand that the NBA referees are the most heavily scrutinized group of officials in any sport. They look at tape at halftime. They look at tape after the game. Uh, they are just so thoroughly critiqued and judged because you will have, and there are a number of former NBA referees who are on the league staff. I'm thinking guys like Bennett Salvatore, who refereed multiple finals, Joey Crawford, who's refereed multiple finals, Mark Wunderlich, who's refereed the finals. They're sitting in the stands. They're critiquing. Um, You have at least two, three, maybe even four layers of evaluation of these officials and no they're not going to get them all right but this is a group that really has an almost impossible task when you are trying to determine whether contact is incidental is it marginal does it rise to the level of a foul does it affect an offensive player's speed balance quickness and rhythm and you're trying to do this in real time while you're sprinting up and down the floor, that's a pretty tough job. And by and large, this 
staff has done a very, very good job. And this year they've done it under extremely difficult circumstances because there have been a number of referees who, for whatever reason, it, it might have been illness, uh, you know, travel issues because of COVID, um, you know, they were in a, a position where their protocols dictated that they really couldn't get together. They certainly could not drive to the game together, which they almost always would. They were put under incredible stresses and pressures this year, as were pretty much everybody associated with the NBA. And all things being equal, they have done a very, very good job. Missed calls notwithstanding. They, that, it's going to happen. Um, and what's interesting about that no call against Devin Booker is that Milwaukee can't challenge that because a foul was not called. So that that wasn't something where Mike Budenholzer could throw a challenge flag and say, hey, that should have been a foul. Uh, if you're not familiar with the NBA replay and challenge rules, you cannot challenge a foul that is uncalled. You can't challenge a no call and turn it into a foul. So, um, But like I said, this, this is a group that has worked very, very hard. They have a rigorous training program. It's, it's a, a league-wide effort to make sure that the referees are the best they possibly can be. You also have a recruiting effort trying to find men and women who have the ability, who have the competence, who have the athletic ability, the judgment, the demeanor to referee NBA basketball. And we're going to see some young referees in the Las Vegas Summer League coming up in early August who are trying to earn their stripes, so to speak and become NBA referees. Uh, it's, it's a very intriguing process. If you go back uh, to earlier editions of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a very interesting two-part conversation with Monty McCutcheon, who's in charge of referee training and development. And uh, if you go back to those episodes, uh, we can get into a little bit more. We do get into a lot more detail as to how the NBA recruits, trains, and uh, works with officials to make sure that they are the best they possibly can be. By way of segue, uh, I want to talk about one official who, if you have not read the article in The Undefeated, I would certainly recommend it to you. And that is that is the story of Tony Brown. Tony Brown refereed his first finals game last year. Refereeing a finals game is the pinnacle of being an NBA referee. Very, very few get there. Uh, only 12, I believe, are selected to referee in the finals. Uh, Tony Brown was one of those last year, refereed game four between the Heat and the Lakers. And uh, earlier this season, he uh, was in Florida and got some sushi and had a stomach ache and did not feel well. I I'll let you read the article so that you can get the full story because it is an as told to. Uh, so the words of Tony Brown are in there and they're far more eloquent and precise than what I'm able to render here. Long story short, Tony Brown has stage four pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer uh, is a very difficult cancer to deal with. It's almost impossible to diagnose until it has metastasized to other parts of the body. When you have stage four of any cancer, it means that the cancer has metastasized to another organ. And in Tony's case, it has metastasized to his liver. Um so he is undergoing treatment right now in his home area of Atlanta, Georgia. He is uh, midway through his uh, chemotherapy treatment. And again, you can refer to the article for more details on, on how this all came about and, and what he's going through right now. Tony Brown was one of those guys that 
is one of those guys when he refereed, um, always did so with a smile on his face. And I knew that if Tony were assigned to a Grizzlies game, I knew that we had a good official working the game. And a guy that I know that I could talk to, that I could ask questions of, and I would always talk to him before the game and, you know, get get the bro hug. And uh, we would always say, how amazing is it? How wonderful is it? How grateful are we to have the jobs that we have? Uh, to have the ability to, in my case, broadcast, in his case, to referee the world's finest athletes uh, in the highest level of competition. And uh, he was always very grateful, very respectful of the opportunity that he has uh, as an NBA referee and uh, just really, really a quality human being. And one of those guys that when you would see that he was working your game, you wanted to make sure that you said hello because he he is one of the best guys you could possibly imagine. Had the opportunity to talk to Tony last week. Uh, he is, his spirits are good. Uh, we had a good conversation about officiating. We had a good conversation about life and friends and family and, uh, and his journey, uh, through the treatment of pancreatic cancer and, um, wishing him absolutely nothing but the best. This is a very, very tough fight for him. Um, pancreatic cancer holds a, a special meaning for me. My father had pancreatic cancer. Uh, back in uh, 1994, uh, and it's it's a diagnosis that you never want to hear. But that's what uh, Tony Brown is dealing with. He is being very, very positive. He's got great support from the referee community. Uh, you'll read about Rodney Mott, who has been a, a vegan in terms of diet and how he came down to Atlanta to see Tony and uh, get Tony on a, on a plant-based diet that uh, hopefully will help him particularly with his immune system, which is going to be compromised because of the chemotherapy. Um, if you would like to support Tony Brown, and if you would like to support the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, uh, I would urge you to go to the website nbra.net slash Tony's hyphen fight. Let me do that again. nbra.net slash Tony's hyphen fight. And there you can donate to the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And there's also a uh, T-shirt to uh, support Tony Brown, who is uh, wears referee uh, number six. And uh, it's in purple, which, of course, is the color of awareness for pancreatic cancer. Uh, Brevin and I have donated. Uh, we're waiting for our shirts to arrive, and we will wear them proudly as we support Tony's fight. So that's nbra.net slash Tony's hyphen fight. And all your donations will go to the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. So now let's shift from officiating to broadcasting. And Richard Deitch, who does a fantastic job with The Athletic, talking about sports media, just put out a tweet after game four, uh, lauding Mike Breen for his continued outstanding work on the NBA Finals and kind of threw it out there. You know, does Mike Breen belong in the pantheon of great NBA Finals voices? Uh, the, the answer is obviously yes. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Richard brought up several names. Uh, he brought up Chick Hearn, the longtime radio and television voice of the Los Angeles Lakers. Also brought up Jim Durham and Marv Albert. 
I'm going to throw one other in there that that Richard did not add, and that was Dick Stockton. When the NBA was on CBS, Dick Stockton was the lead announcer for many of of those series. Uh, The Lakers, Celtics, their glory years, the Pistons' glory years. And uh, and then when the Bulls started winning championships, the, the rights shifted to NBC. And so that that turned a little bit. Where where do these final finals voices rank, in, in, in my opinion? First of all, with with Chick Hearn, Chick never did the NBA finals on a national basis. Uh, he did obviously a ton of NBA finals for the Los Angeles Lakers. But because he's a regional voice, did not do the NBA Finals as a national voice. I'm going to set him aside for the purposes of this conversation. Um, Jim Durham was, for those of you not familiar with his story, the late, great Jim Durham, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, he was the voice of the Chicago Bulls back in the Jordan years, particularly as they were coming up against the Celtics and the Pistons. He did both radio and television in those days when uh, some teams did simulcasts in Chicago, and then after the first championship, uh, he got sideways with management, and then he was let go and ended up with the Dallas Mavericks for a period of time doing their television, and then the NBA hired him to be the league voice, and so he would do the all-star game and playoff games and, of course, the NBA finals, but he did those on radio. I will say this. There aren't many, if any, better NBA radio voices than Jim Durham. Jim had impeccable timing, great description. Uh, He could make you hear the rhythm of the game just by the intonation and cadence of his voice. And if you go back and you look on YouTube, uh, you can get some of his television calls, but some of his television calls were also radio calls as well. And I think that everybody remembers... The, uh, you know, Jordan to the foul line, shot on Elo, uh, you know, the shot uh, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. But there's a lot more to Jim Durham's career than simply that signature call. And for me, Jim Durham was one of the very best. And I got the opportunity to listen to a lot of Jim Durham when I was working uh, in South Bend, Indiana uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, a huge fan of his, does did a wonderful job. And uh, But again, for the purposes of this discussion, should he be in the Pantheon? Yes, but in the radio hall because he did not do an NBA Finals on television. Which brings us to the final three. Dick Stockton at CBS, Marv Albert, and Mike Breen. Those are the three primary television voices of the NBA Finals. Al Michaels did an NBA Finals. Uh, Bob Costas did NBA Finals uh, for NBC for a period of time. Let me let me go in this order. Dick Stockton did a good job, a very good job with CBS. Very workmanlike. You knew exactly what was going on. He was very, very solid with the fundamentals. Um, when you talk then, I think you go one step higher, and now the question is, is it Marv Albert or is it Mike Breen? Marv, you knew if Marv was calling the game, you knew that it was a big game. You knew that it was an important moment. And so many iconic moments that he called with Michael Jordan during those Bulls championships, that's really, really hard to ignore when NBC had the rights. 
Mike Breen with ESPN ABC, and, and I understand recency bias, and I understand the fact that while I have met Marv and I know Marv, Mike Breen is a friend of mine, and, and, and we've been close for a number of years. What I like about Mike Breen, and, and to me what gives Mike a slight edge over Marv, is the fact that Mike looks at the game and doesn't merely call it, but gives you the added dimension of an official, the added dimension of a coach. He thinks strategically about what a develop might, development in a game might mean down the line. Uh, and in this way, I compare him to Al Michaels. What I like about Al Michaels calling the NFL is he will look at a situation and he will say, you know, this particular development might play out in this way or this way or this way. And I think that Mike Breen does has that same approach in doing a basketball game. There's also, you, you get the sense of wonder, you get the sense of awe uh, when, when Mike is calling one of these finals games. Um, even though he has, you know, you'd think at this point, you'd think that Mike Breen has seen it all. Um, you never know when you're going to have that big moment as we saw in game four with Giannis coming up with the amazing block. You you simply don't understand or, or you don't expect that, and yet here it is. You think that, you know, and as a play-by-play guy, you're looking at that play developing, and you're seeing Booker throwing the lob, and you see Aiton rolling down the baseline. And in your mind, you're thinking, Aiton's going to slam this, this is going to slam the door, Phoenix is going to go up 3-1, and then all of a sudden now you have a 180-degree turnaround because Giannis blocks it. And the Bucks go back the other way. Um, we, I talked about Giannis's nimbleness uh, and his ability to to turn on a dime and take a defensive mistake and turn it into a defensive gem. And as a broadcaster, you have to do the same thing because you're going from thinking like this is this is going to be Phoenix's ball game to oh my goodness, now we have one of the most amazing plays in NBA history. Uh, and and Mike always is there for the big moment. He approaches the big moment in a great way because he is solid in his call, but there's also that element of joy, of wonder, of this is amazing, and I can't believe what I just saw. Without saying that, without literally saying those words, uh, you know, he, he can capture the big moment as well as anybody I think ever has in the NBA. And that is very, very hard. And that only comes with years and years of repetition. I've always said it. Nobody springs from the womb knowing how to do NBA basketball. The only way that you can do this at this level is to work at it for years and years and years and to have the reps to go through a number of end of game situations. That's how you get to be a Mike Breen, to have the opportunity to call many games where it's going down to the wire. Um, you know, the first time, I mean, unless you're really, really incredibly talented, the first time you call a buzzer beater, you're probably going to butcher it uh, because maybe you're not expecting it. But the more you do games, the more the game slows down and the better you are able to see it and the better you are able to anticipate what might happen. Um, and that's what really separates the great broadcasters from the good broadcasters. And, and Mike Breen certainly is a great broadcaster. If I had to if I had to rank them, I'm probably going to put Mike just a, a, a little bit ahead of Marv. I, I know that sounds like heresy, 
uh, and recency bias, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to go with it. I, I just, I, I think that you can always count on Mike to rise to the moment, however unexpected, however spectacular it might be. And uh, he's just done a marvelous job with it. And I am very, very happy for him to see him enjoy the success that he has because he's truly one of the, uh, one of the great people in our business. So uh, that does it for this edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been episode 50. We have reached the landmark and uh, very happy that we have gotten to this point. Our thanks to DraftKings for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind on the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.